All right, welcome everyone to Unsafe Space Book Club. Uh, we are on a different URL for this book club than we intended to be. We've been having some trouble live streaming with Zoom lately, so I uh, apologize for that. But we are here to discuss the management of savagery. We'll probably wait around for a couple minutes and just chat while people jump into the stream because Carrie, is, I think, is going over to the other stream telling people what the new URL is. But um, thank you all for joining. Let me see if I can bring everyone's video up. Okay, there's everyone. Is everyone unmuted? Can you guys speak? Hello, hello. There we go. Okay. Hi. So I here's what I'll do while we're waiting for people. Um, Tamara, who I think we can hear you right now. Can we hear you, Tamara? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I you are. Computers. I had to try. I was trying not to kick my husband off his. <laughs> well, um, Tamara, you have been, you have earned the prize of being the person who has been, I think you've been at every single book club um, from day one, and you always have good insight. So, um, and by the way, Tamara was there before it was even called the Unsafe Space Book Club back when it was just my pet project. And yep. she's been there from day one. <laughs> yes. So Tamara, we're going to send you a Unsafe Space mug. <laughs> Yeah. Which I would show, but see, I think Carrie has your address. Yes. Yeah. So we'll send I do it to now. You. I found last week. Yeah, I yeah. finally got to meet Here's her in mug. person. This is what you get for participating in Unsafe Space Book Club, as diligently as Tamara. So. I already have one of your shirts. Good, good. So anyway, welcome. Um, I am going to. Actually, Carrie, do you want? Can you kick off the discussion while I go and change the live stream link on our website? Yes, I can. During this, so uh, I'll let you guys start talking about the book again. It's Management of Savagery by Max Blumenthal, and uh, go. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, thank you guys for joining us today. I was wondering how many people would show up for this one because I heard in the um, in the discussion in our Facebook group that some people didn't like the book or they quit reading it. <laughs> And so, and I, it was hard to get through. There's a lot of facts and figures and names. And at some point I just gave up on trying to remember who's who and just started trying to get an overall picture of things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming here to talk about it with us. Um, why don't we do, cause I see some new faces today too, I think. Why don't we just start off with what we usually do like some general impressions of the book or, or opinions on the book or as someone said before we started, maybe you have a different impression on the book than you do the author. Would anyone like to start? I'll start. Hi, is that Bethany? So, um, yes. Is? Great. Really happy. Just, just so you know, um, I actually worked in a bureaucratic system. I worked for the Department of Social Health Services, and I worked with the most vulnerable families that were receiving government funding. And so I... Um, working in a bureaucratic system like the last day of work I had was December 12th of 2019 I came down with a really terrible headache hasn't gone away and doctors don't know why but I do think part of it was just the stressor of working in a system that has what I call a lot of death speak and so um, I've listened to the best of my ability um, on audible the management of of savagery and what was the other part of the question 
what was your general impression what was of the book? Did you enjoy it or, you know, what did you, what did you well, think about the process of reading it? Well, actually, I think I'd probably enjoy um, scraping my face down a sidewalk <laughs> more than I would book, but I feel like it's really, really important to yeah. um, stand. It's like, because we, like, I think, like, movies um, about what happened in the 1980s and 1960s are coming out and have been, and I just think people, it's really good to, it's kind of like you took, you either could take the red pill or the blue pill. And then once you take the blue pill, you can't really ever go back. And I feel like understanding patterns of um, actions taken by people who present one way and are actually a way, like it's very, it's very disheartening. And at many times, unless you have like a specific faith practice that you're engaged in, um, it can be very, it's like, so many we America has so many beautiful people um, that inhabit it, and so do other countries. Powers were manipulating, and um, it, on one end, I, my heart is breaking, and at the other end, there's a sense of hope too, because we have because there's so many good people um, that that are on the ground, you know. But like when it comes to the powers that be, um, it kind. Of, in some respects, like I only had to take it in bits and pieces, seeing how I did work in the bureaucratic system because it's so much and it does feel so disheartening. And then I just have to remember. Um, but then when I talk with my family members and I spend time with my friends and then I save space, which has been so good for me, it's like questioning is so, so important. It sounds like the book kind of, what you're saying is that it, it's sort of disheartening to read about these powerful oh. machinations that are happening in the background that we don't even, we're not even privy to, but you're taking, yeah, you're saying, think, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that one statement um, by Mario Salvo, he was like a activist on college campuses in the 1960s. He talks about once you just ha have to be, come to a place where you're just so sick. You can't even take part. You can't even, minusculely take part you have to put your body upon the gears upon the you know and he has this beautiful way of speaking like you need to like once you understand or have a, a an eye or uh just your mind is open to these things you just can't take part and so i think unsafe space is a great way for me at this time because i when i i can't even look at his computer screen at this time um but when i do it's really painful for my eyes and so uh, um, but this for me at this time, this is what I can do to take part or put my body upon the gears, upon the, you know, and just have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with other people. And, you know, this is for me, unsafe space is, is the, the foundation for being able to understand what's going on to hear what other people have to say, um, and really listen without a plan of what to say next, you know? practicing that being present with other people who are wanting to learn. I like that. Uh, yeah. Well, I had, I'll, I'll jump yeah, in you, on my, what do you think, Carrie? Yeah. I liked reading it. I mean, it, yeah. Like, like Bethany said, <laughs> scraping your face on the pavement might be 
more, um, more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. But I, at first I was kind of bored with it because there are so many names and, and I, I, I was trying to keep track of things in my head, like a linear timeline, and it just became impossible. And once I gave that up, then I got really interested in it mm-hmm. because I started seeing, um, just thinking about like g- going back to some of my impressions when I was young about the Iraq war, for example, and how naive I was at the time. I, I still, I opposed the Iraq war. I knew, th- I knew then that the justifications were BS, but I didn't have a deep understanding of why I, I thought that. I just, I, I, I couldn't understand why they were manufacturing, in my opinion anyway, manufacturing reasons to go into Iraq. And so uh, I, I don't think at that time I was still, I was still somewhat idealistic. And I also, I tended to put people into either good or evil, like that sort of splitting things. People are good or evil. I hated W. So I was like, they're evil. And the, you know, PNAC, the project for a new American century and stuff, which he touches on in the book. I had read a lot about those guys at the time. And I just, I considered it to be something, you know, these guys are evil. Now, 20 years later, with the advantage of age, I guess, and life experience, and then finally dipping into some stuff like this, it, I guess I tend to view it more as um, people get caught up in systems and there's mm-hmm. like a machine. We talk about the milita- military industrial complex, for example, there's a machine, the intelligence ag- agency machine that just keeps rolling. And it seems having read this, I, I kind of view it as, you know, they continually make bad decision after bad decision sometimes just to sometimes because they have a goal of uh securing power or oil or resources in in these other countries but other times just because they're trying to cover up past mistakes Mm. you know (laughs) so Mm. i enjoyed it i definitely think he um I, i can imagine where some of some of the people might be coming from who didn't like the author of the book because i think he has a a definite bias against uh like trump for example or you know Mm. he is a he is a writer from the left um and i think he has a couple of blind spots but we all do you know he would probably say i have a blind spot by saying that he'd probably like like some of the ways he referred to people I would underline when I disagreed with him, like, really? Like, he was like, he's an extreme alt-right, you know, Nazi. They didn't call him Nazi, but extreme alt-right, blah, blah, blah. Like, he would, he sort of, he did call uh, Gavin McGinnis, I think, a white nationalist. And I'm like, that's just not true. I I would underline those things. Like, you you have a complete bias here that's obscuring Mm -hmm. part of the picture. But on the other hand, he would probably say, he would probably put me in the group with those people. (laughs) So, who knows? (laughs) Anyway, that's my general first impressions. Yeah, I I agree that he had a bias, but I think it was like, I I don't know. I liked liked the book, actually, because the bias, I'm kind of used to that bias. The bias to me was just, um, it was just that he didn't question mainstream leftist morality. That was his bias. Like, and, and it was like, he's not a philosophical thinker. He didn't think about morals. He didn't think about philosophy. He doesn't think about culture. He's just detached from any high level thought about that. He's just really in the weeds on here are all the things that the military industrial complex did. And, and cause he's so much in the weeds, he can see the evil there, um, and talk about it. And what, one thing that actually struck me was that he wrote an entire book about how what I would call the deep state functions. 
and then puts the word deep state in scare quotes like yes. it's a weird right wing thing. It's like, yeah. you just wrote a book about the deep state and now you're mocking the idea that someone calls it a deep state. That's literally what your entire book is about. Um, so I thought that was weird. And for me, what I really, I like the details because I knew like a, a two sentence summary of things like Afghanistan. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. We, we armed the Mujahideen and and we tried to drag Russia into war or Soviet Union into war and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I kind of knew about the Iraq stuff, but I didn't know the, the details. And I found the details, like I didn't know anything about Syria. Um, so that I found that super fascinating. I didn't, I never really understood where the hell ISIS came from and how they were different from <laughs> Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, right. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, like it was super interesting to see. Um, and actually to see how intimately involved the FBI is in so much of this crap. Uh, I kind of always blame the CIA and I, and I still do for this stuff outside of our borders, but the FBI seems to be really active inside of our borders trying to basically push the deep state agenda for lack of a better phrase. I don't know. I liked the book though, generally. I thought it was a useful book. Carter, you mean push the deep state agenda. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again. And, and he, he also did this weird, he had a weird relationship with Trump too, where he, he did this thing where he just like, um, he would dismiss people. I mean, he would, oh, a xenophobic, Islamophobic, neo-Nazi, racist. He just, all the kind of, you know, ad hominems. But then at the same time, in the afterward, the afterward was like super refreshing because I was like, oh, here's a weird leftist who has like zero thought about philosophy or culture. Even he sees that Russiagate is bull crap. And even he like, he describes Russiagate just as well as Dan Bongino would, for example. <laughs> like he goes right into there. He talks about Russiagate. He talks about the Clinton email stuff and he's spot on. So I, I really appreciated that of, about him. He still, you know, had that bias, but the areas that he has knowledge He's honest about what the knowledge pieces together to mean. And I found that very important. So. Yeah, I felt like you could separate his knowledge that he's imparting, imparting, which is a lot. <laughs> you could separate mm -hmm. that from any of his own moral opinions or biases. And I'm really grateful for the knowledge. Exactly. Are we sure Keep the thinking. knowledge is correct? Are we? Has anybody bothered? to actually check up on some of his supposed facts. I haven't. I did check up on some, oh. although I, like you, that that thought immediately struck my mind because I was like, well, I know he's lying about this stuff here. Um, but his lies tended to be less of lies and more like lazy, broad generalizations that weren't researched. Mm. The details, all the details I checked, and I didn't mm. check a lot, but I, I checked into um, some of the details about the uh, what was that kid, the kid's name who was found face down? Like I checked, I checked into some of those details about his family and what was going on there. I checked in some of the details about, um, one of the world trade center, the world trade center bombing, I think was, was in this book, right? I checked, I checked, I knew that those details were correct as far as I knew. Mm -hmm. And he got all the Trump Russia gate and the CNN or the, the Clinton stuff. Correct. Mm -hmm. So the details that I knew and the ones okay. that I checked were correct. But when he says Steve Bannon is like a neo-Nazi. That's not a detail. That's just a, that's just an ad hominem. Mm. So, I think most of the stuff for me that I can tell most of the stuff he got wrong was just broad generalizations, not details. 
but I don't know. It's, it's, it's really easy to do um, when you have, when, cause we all have unrecognized bias and then labeling is just an easier thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he repeated like, what was the other thing he did that bothered me? Oh, he did like, uh, he would say like, he repeated the grab him by the pussy thing that Trump said as a, as bragging about sexual assault, which it's not. And it wasn't right. So like, I guess you could say that's a detail that he got wrong, but it was the characterization of the event that he got wrong, not the event himself. Right. Trump did it's, say those words. He just mischaracterized it. That's um, what I mean about separating the opinion or his characterization of certain things from facts. Right. Right. I, th I thought he gave, he gave me a, anyway, a lot of, a lot of facts that I haven't had. So, Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm fact checking on you Carter right now, which is, <laughs> yeah, I, I have the ki the Kindle version of the book, and I'm, I'm looking <clears throat> under neo-Nazi, and I'm not coming up with Bannon at the same time. Are you sure? Yeah, that I mean, I, I might be I wrong. Know. It might not be Bannon <laughs> that he said neo-Nazi. I know he used word neo-Nazi. I don't remember. I'm yeah, not there's six matches, but none of them, as far as I can tell, have Bannon. I know he 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 said some things about Bannon. He said some things about Geert Wilders. He said some things about Milo, Gavin McGinnis. Like I don't remember all the people that he said. Neo Nazis was in one of those somewhere. Uh, he did not call Bannon a neo Nazi. He called him a Hollywood hack. <laughs> <laughs> he also well, threw neocon so around a lot, mm -hmm. um, which. I don't know what neocon means anymore after reading this book. I'm kind of, does it just mean you like war? I don't know. He really had a problem defining his terms. I felt like he, he threw a lot of terms around without definition. Uh, and I was yes. bothered by any, about it, not any time that's, I can't say I read this in depth. Uh, I just finished it, but in the footnotes, you know, any uh, several times I would kind of go back. I find it hard to kind of, I would like to see footnotes in something like this as opposed to endnotes. So I, I looked at the endnotes a few times and I saw the reference to the source was Max Blumenthal. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tamara. I was probably in a unique position out of this group that I was working for a defense contractor around 2000 through 2015. So I was helping design and support manufacturing lines for military hardware when the Iraq war ramped up and there was a definite, I'm going to say a lot of the defense policies are sticking to the stereotypes they had 50 years ago. They would reference, you know, we took over Japan, we took over Germany, we instituted democratic institutions, and now they're our biggest allies. So if we take over Iraq and throw out the dictator and do democracy building, we'll have a democratic ally in the Middle East. Mm. That was their assumption for Iraq and Afghanistan. There's also the, mm. and this book actually traces part of saying, fight communism, fight Russia. And that was the enemy, the goal. And the book here with Blumenthal does talk about how the CIA you know, supported Iraq against Iran, and then they wanted to get money to fight the Contras, so they sold missiles to Iran to fund the anti-communist stuff. Well, we're 
30, 40 years later, and it's still Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia is our enemy. Russia, Russia, Russia. We need to blame something. Blame Russia. And it's like a lot of our government policies are still based on Cold War enemies, Cold War threats, even though we're decades later. Keith, did you see the same thing? Because you were working in the defense industry probably at that time, unless you retired before then. Uh, no, I was definitely working in defense industry. 2001, I was uh, GE Aerospace. I distinctly remember the attitude of everybody there, which was we got to bomb the shit out of the Russians. Um, <laughs> I happened to be working on electronics for the ship that they used to bomb Syria at the time. So, yeah, uh, I spent 30 years in the deep state. As far as fact-checking this, uh, everything I knew about, I didn't find anything wrong. Um, but I I think it would take a year to fact check this book. Maybe, maybe impossible. Uh, I, I'm curious where he got all that. Like um, you said, I had a, I was in it for 30 years. I met Carter. He's in it too. Uh, he <laughs> I was, I was part he of the deep does shit like this. Um, the stuff I knew about, like I know some stuff about Iran. I know some stuff about Nicaragua. Uh, I know somebody that met George Bush in Nicaragua when he was head of the CIA. Like th these this kind of stuff has been going on for way before this book. Um, I agree with all you guys. You talk about the uh, manipulative terms. He throws around emotionally manipulative adjectives all the time. So that was a little frustrating. But uh, after two years of listening to Carrie and Carter on the show, I'm pretty good at just ignoring all that bullshit um, and just looking for the facts. I didn't see anything. Nothing jumped out at me in the facts. Uh, and I did check into a couple things that I didn't know about and didn't find anything wrong. Uh, but I can't believe anybody could fact check this. And, uh, you know, I was almost skeptical um, reading it. But anyway, my summary, the whole thing, it's entirely a conspiracy theory. I talked to some people from work. This is all conspiracy theory. We should just stop book club now. And talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so funny. Other first impressions from people? Also, well, when I read the, when I finished reading the book, like I think uh, Carrie and some of you have already said, uh, I noticed that at the beginning when he was referring to certain people, especially more on the right side, he would always, you know, put a, a some word that would be a, a negative, right? Like an ad hominem attack or something, and it was very noticeable on every person that would be seen on the right. He would always say something like, "Oh, he's a neoconservative," or "I mean, he's a." Uh, uh, outright or something, they always jump at you. And it was more that something that obviously was his opinion. So at the beginning, when you start reading the book, it, it sort of makes you think, well, you know, with a grain of salt, well, it, you know, makes you doubt what he's saying. But after you keep reading it, you start seeing a lot of facts. I looked into some stuff myself. I do, I do agree that a lot of the facts that he's saying, I don't, I think that at, at the end, when, when you go into the afterward where he talks about what we've been living through the last three, four years, he seemed very objective. It didn't sound like he was being subjective. He seemed more honest to me and the way he written, wrote it. So it sort of gave it more validity in terms of some of the things that he was saying, uh, whether I agree with him or not, right? So I, I liked uh, I liked that sense of the book and it did open my eyes a little bit in certain things. And I think it brought me back to the idea of how just and we've experienced it. We've been seeing it, how men, the media or the the um, we're 
we're constantly being fed a point of view, whether it's from the right, whether it's from the left. Obviously, over time, maybe it's been moving more towards one side than the other, but maybe 30, 40, you know, and 20 years ago, the way the manipulation was happening was more towards, uh, we need to get everybody on board with a war in Iraq, right? The war in Iraq, we have to go in there. Saddam Hussein is a terrorist. He was part of the plot to uh, bring down the, the, you know, the 9-11 and all that. And uh, I always think that the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, but, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, the book was very good. Obviously it was more from the left side. You could tell he had a little bit of bias in that regard, but, I, I enjoyed the book and it, I believe that in this day and age, we have to, we have to actually not believe just what we're told from media. We have to find out and do our own research because now we can't even trust anything almost. Yeah, so. Manny, did, to your point, Manny, did, do you remember the part where he said, I can't find it now, but they, it was a study that was done that said during the Iraq war, they found that the more people consumed coverage news news media coverage about the war the less they knew about the war <laughs> yeah because you're being fed the story the reality was there was a there was a need we need to get everybody on board to support this and obviously i think that most people back then probably would have said yeah we need to go over there because we're hearing the story from one side and now you know but you're right yeah this book was a description of that uh to me keith you mentioned that comic the other day to me this book was like uh, exact. Do you want to describe the comic of the two people? Was, Do you remember was this? It the one with the two puppets? Oh, no. no it's I like know the one. I thought you yeah. I posted, which is the Democrat and the Republican Party yeah. with the big fat guy underneath. Okay. The one I mentioned to you was uh, the stick drawing of Sally and Jim and like the little stick drawing. And it says, Sally voted Democrat. Jim voted Republican. They can still be friends because they both want to bomb Iran. <laughs> that to me, that's like a summary of the book. Uh, it just I looked at that and I thought, um, I, I guess it, the the Hollywood's involvement, the media's complicit, uh, complacent or yes. complicit uh, complicity is that even a word? How the media was complicit. Uh, you know, just he has that one passage where he talks about. Anderson Cooper talking to the, uh, I think it was the Syrian ambassador, um, and just like acting like what you're saying is ridiculous. I know the narrative, and it's this thing here, and just really pushing this, what I would call a deep state narrative. And it, it really makes me, I to me, one of the things that it, it does is underscores to me how Trump, I come away from this, as much as he hates Trump, I come away from this going, well, Trump is clearly the hero. He's the one guy in this entire play. He's the one character who says no. He's the one character in the entire play on both sides everywhere who says, I don't want to. Now, he fails a little bit and like, you know, he, he lets his, his kind of team take over. But he's the, he's the one guy who kind of says, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be bombing people. I don't want to, I, I think we should pull out. Uh, so it really sets it up for me. I come away from this book going, feeling my my opinion being reinforced that there really isn't a huge difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. There is a difference between the kind of statist machine 
and mm-hmm. outside opposition. And that's really the that's really the battle to be fighting, not whether it's Mitt Romney or Hillary Clinton, because they're the same. Mm-hmm. To your point about heroes in the book, one person who really stood out as being, no, we have to stop, is Tulsi Gabbard. Mm. With her, oh, yes, yes, she's let's the one. stop yes. arming insurgents. And it's like, yes, that is something I can agree with. <laughs> let's just stop. Yeah, which, and it made which, sense to me why they hate her once he, yeah, brought, was, he explained it that way. Exactly, that- Alex, to your point, that that they hated Tulsi and being someone who who voted for her and liked her, I the way the media turned on her and then I heard people I know on the left who are squarely in the propaganda echo chamber just almost mindlessly just repeating whatever sound bites had been, you know, uh, pummeled into their head about why they should hate her. They hated her as much as they hated Trump. And I think it's, yeah, for that same reason, of course they hate her. It's very difficult. Like what I've learned is the hardest thing to do is change the way one thinks. And as we age with our brains and, um, you know, growing new neural pathways and all that other kind of stuff, like I believe like Trump and Tulsi Gabbard and, you know, they were an opportunity to see things differently. And it's just, people are very protective of the way they see the world. And it's like, almost like, um, like something, an insidious illness came in and was trying to you know, but like people, they don't want to, they don't want their minds to be changed, you know, and it's, it's very difficult to um, allow another way of thinking in. So people like, I see a lot of the way people react and are acting towards someone that is different, that is coming in, that has something good to offer as almost like an attack on their own psyche. And it just shows the Democrat Party mainstream now is at least as much hawkish on pro-war as the Republicans. It's interesting, the last two elections, the Republican candidate was the one who was left into war. Like the -hmm. Democrats are for war more now, I think, but it's just another form of welfare. It's just welfare for weapons manufacturers. I mean, somehow they have to justify a trillion dollars a year. Is there yeah, anyone else both. who who wants to give first impressions who hasn't spoken yet? Sure, sure, I, I can say. Um, yeah, I, I, I found, I, I reiterate what some people have said. I, I thought, oh my God, how am I going to keep track of all these people? Names. Acronyms, names. And I thought, whoa, it'd be really useful if he had actually uh, like a glossary, linked glossary. So every time you see a term, you could click on it and get a definition. But anyway, he didn't do that. Or... I guess he, well, whoever did the Kindle version could have done that. Um, Anyway, but also just, yeah, I had all these like philosophical (laughs) kind of uh, thoughts. You know, I I didn't come from it um, feeling despair. I was like, oh, well, I, I I can understand everyone, like all the actors, like they're all just, trying to do their best you know they're not like evilly evil people um although i guess yeah like what is the nature of evil that was like what was coming to me is it is it, is it something that emerges out of big institutions like once you have these big institutions then people are are like trying to 
someone said cover up for past mistakes or they just think, oh, well, we can't say the truth because it might hurt these people. And, and then they, they end up doing some things that actually hurt people even more. And um, so that was one thing that, that I, I had the impression, first impression. I don't, and then the other thing is the whole thing about how these two sort of like cops and robbers or, or SJWs and, and, uh, and white supremacists or, you know, they're, they're sort of creating each other. So here it's the jihadists and the, the neocons are like counterparts of each other. And they're, they're both kind of egging each other on um, or, or not necessarily neocons. It could be the, what he called the, the humanitarian hawks like Hillary Clinton. Um, and, and all her bunch. It's like, it's a weird psychological dynamic that, that seems to, to happen where, yeah, I don't know. I, I also like to think about it in uh, Jungian terms. They're like, they each have these shadows and they're projecting them on each other. Anyway, that, that's just my- That's an excellent question. point. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. I had the same thought in my kind of comparing the way, like the war machine, and the jihadi insurgents each rely on each other and have the same goals in many cases and are like provoke, they want the other to do the thing. You know, sort of how he talked about the, how PNAC wanted there to be something like September. They, they felt like they needed that to progress their goals. It's almost, they feed off each other. And yeah, I think currently culturally we're seeing the same sort of symbiotic relationship with uh, social justice, the social justice left and then maybe the, the 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 actual uh alt right or you know like white nationalism that kind of thing do they actually exist i mean are these people real I or think, are they only in the imagination of sjw's like i i, I think they exist <laughs> but they've been a very um they haven't been i don't think they've been very um uh they've been a laughing stock for so long but i think they're now that that's changing i think they are mm. growing they're growing right, right. yeah Thanks to the yeah. thanks to the yes. radical left, but that's right. I, I, I don't want to take away free will, but you know, just as a as someone who obviously is a voluntarist and is not a big fan of large government anyway, I I partly look at this and I think there, it's not necessary. It's not necessarily that people started out trying to be evil, but that they once you're part of an organization that has a specific purpose like growing that organization and continuing in that purpose is not something that's ever questioned. Like, mm -hmm. so, so when that purpose is fulfilled, you see this with, um, you see this with stuff all the time. You saw this with the feminist movement when like, okay, well, we've achieved equality. We've achieved all these things. We can't just pack up and go home now because our job is done. We have to keep mm -hmm. expanding and go for more and more. And the same thing happens with, <sighs> oh, we're fighting communism. We're fighting communism. Oh, the Soviet Union broke up now. Oh, we can pack up and be done. Like, no, you can't pack up and be done. This is what we do. And you're kind of caught, you're sucked into this ever expanding thing that you just, you forget why you're doing it in the first place and what the moral reasons for its existence were in the first place. And you just get caught up in this thing that's been labeled good in your head. And you're not, this is one of the reasons why I think uh, governments, they always grow. You never have a government that starts out some size and shrinks. It always grows over time because every institution of power 
always has one of its implicit uh, goals is to like, self-propagate and to give itself more power. It's just how it works. So I kind of yeah. see this as a byproduct of that. You know, we always heard about the Cold War ending. There was going to be a peace dividend. You know, and that's what I heard about mm. as a kid in the seventies <laughs> right. and sixties. Right, mm. the peace dividend. But like I said, when when the Cold War ended, I was already working for a military contractor. So yeah, there's no peace dividend. They just had to look around. And I look at it as what George Bush, the first George Bush, did is uh, he needed a new reason to spend half a billion a year on military. He needed something to do. Like I got this whole huge apparatus. We need something for to do. He looked around like, ah, the Middle East, they can replace Russia as the new boogeyman. And when this one ends, when the Middle East ends, if they eventually give up because they realize that we can't fix the Middle East, that's obvious. Um, they'll probably just look well, around and find something else. Like it, there's no it, reason for us not to expect they won't find something else. It, it wasn't just them looking around. I think it also, they were kind of influenced a lot by uh, people in Israel like Netanyahu by the way, I was born in Israel, and um, so I, I have a bias, but not not towards uh, Netanyahu. Um, just just to to state up front that um, my father was was actually somewhat of a pacifist, and he um, kept trying to vote for for politicians who would actually make peace with the Arabs, and they they never got enough votes or. I don't know to to make a, a difference, and in the end, it was it was ironic that the 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 person who assassinated the the uh, prime minister Rabin, who actually was trying to make peace, was a, a Jewish extremist, a Jewish terrorist in in effect. So that was like I think maybe the irony that that uh, cinched it for my parents, and just, they decided to just leave Israel and uh, come hopefully to, to this better place, the United States. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, my, my, my thinking is clouded by a lot of uh, emotion when I think of uh, uh, terrorism vis-a-vis -vis Israel and the Arabs. Um, so yeah, there was a lot in, in the book about that. Anyway, sorry, that's all I had to say. No, don't be. I'll yeah. be sorry for that. Did, yeah. did you find anything else in there that anything that was wrong in there when we talked about Israel? Because you probably know more about Israeli history than I, I. I don't know if I know that much. We I left there when when I was eleven years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds. It sounded correct from from what I saw. Um, but you know, but like Netanyahu is not some monster either. Like his, his, I like his brother was killed in some um, commando operation where a bunch of other terrorists took over a plane to Entebbe, Entebbe, um, I think Uganda or, or anyway. And and you know, there's like 200 Israelis on board and other, and and then the Israelis had a commando operation uh, with. Uh, uh, I forget the, the what was his name. Also, uh, anyway, his brother Netanyahu's brother, and um, mm -hmm. and he get, he was the only he was the leader of the, the operation, and he actually was the only one who got killed. And I think ever since then, Netanyahu just hates Arabs. I mean, it's and, and well, and also wants to protect Israel. It's understandable, but 
Uh, he's not. He's not an evilly evil person. Like I understand where he's coming from. Still, I'm not saying his policies are, are creating the the results he might want. Or I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I found one thing what interesting it? about this is that is that Blumenthal's able to like see all the stuff that's going on and remain almost like a cultural relativist, right? Like if you want to actually solve these problems and think deeply about these problems, you have to actually answer the difficult question. Like, yes, maybe the CIA and, and the US's involvement generally did like absolutely cause rise of ISIS and Al Qaeda and everything else. And like, that's all correct. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that those ideologies are somehow neutral and don't need to be we don't need to be wary of those ideologies and that they don't need to be avoided and condemned and we need to protect ourselves because it's it's weird to me how he like he clearly must see that fundamentalist islam or like fundamentalist islam is not compatible with liberal western values he's got to see that um and yet he characterizes any pushback as xenophobia and racism and like only Nazis would push back on this thing. So mm -hmm. it's weird when you when you when we refuse to ask philosophical questions, you never everything's just really messy and you never get you can't find the solution because it just seems like you're just trying to look for proximate causes for everything constantly. Yeah, I'm, I, I had that same reaction that Carter is having. And, um, and that's really to, to my mind, the, the big fault of the book, because I feel like he's blaming the rise of Donald Trump on the half of the American public that voted for Donald Trump. And he's saying we did it out of Islamophobia. So basically the line his draw, he's drawing is uh, the CIA and the FBI created ISIS and Al Qaeda, which created a disposal problem, which caused you know a whole bunch of some real terrorists, some potential terrorists, some non-terrorists, but you know they start coming into the country. We start having terrorist incidents and then he, you know, then he goes, oh, but you're Islamophobic. And it made me think, well, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. You know, both, yeah. <laughs> both things can be true. It could be true <laughs> that the people who live next door to you who have who, who recently arrived in the country and don't speak English and have cars coming all day and all night, maybe it's perfectly innocent. But then it turns out that a bomb goes off somewhere. So don't call me Islamophobic for saying that we need to address this and notice this. And don't call everybody who voted for Donald Trump an Islamophobe, because I think millions of people were not thinking about terrorists when we voted for Donald Trump. We were thinking how much we didn't like Hillary. So when I pick up a work of fiction that's marketed toward the general public, my, my, my starting assumption is that the author wants to educate people. And what I found with this book is so I had, I had two reasons why I felt he wasn't doing a good job of educating. <laughs> One is you put off half your audience by blaming them for voting for Donald Trump. So, you know, we've all heard that before. But the other thing he did that, that is more of a, you know, just a real, um, just kind of a, a critique of the book itself is if he actually wanted to educate people, we wouldn't all have the same reaction of, I lost track of the timeline, so I started skipping around. He, instead of, giving us enough information to explain his point. It's like he threw in every fact he knows, which mm -hmm. made me say, I am not the audience. He's writing for think tanks 
to impress them. He's not writing for me, the general reader, to educate me. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, he's alienated me. And on the other hand, just on the, you know, from the perspective of how is the book to read, he's not made it readable. So I'm not his audience. He's not trying to educate me, which is a shame because he's got a great command of the material. I wish his goal had been to educate me because I think we all want that education, but I didn't get it from this book. Uh, is it Aline? Perfect. Is that how you pronounce yeah. her name? Aline. 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 Right, is this your first book club? It is. Thank you for coming. That was a very <laughs> badass description and succinct. And I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do. Yeah. I did feel um, that's interesting that you say you think his audience is more of maybe think tanks and stuff. Well, let, let, let me yeah. add, part of the reason I say that is because I was having a hard time following the line of the book. I thought, let me watch some interviews of him on YouTube. Maybe I'll get a better sense of what he's trying to say. And every interview I saw with him really came across as, hey, look how smart I am. And it just, I, I didn't get any more out of watching him being interviewed on YouTube than I got from reading the book, which is basically, look at me, I'm so smart. And as I say, it's a shame because there's, there's great material there and a, and a very important story to be told. You know, I treated so, the book as a, just like a list of facts. Of the, these things happen. I do want to check some of them and then just ignored all this other stuff. The, the Trump stuff and all the emotional manipulative, manipulative stuff. But he goes on for long periods of time with just list of facts. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. So I didn't, I'm, I'm not a think tank person, but I used it to, to say like, this is just one example after the other, boom, 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 boom. CIA did this, CIA did this, CIA did this. Um, and I, th I thought of his Trump connection as, as him just saying that Trump probably would not have happened if the CIA hadn't, and, and the US military hadn't overthrown, you know, a dozen countries and 9-11 mm -hmm. uh, have happened, right? Like, like, I would rather have the Twin Towers than Afghanistan be overthrown. Um, I think it's likely 9-11 won't happen. And maybe Trump wouldn't have got elected because he wouldn't have had this whole Islamophobia backlash. Uh, I agree. The book would have been stronger if he'd said, we armed Muslim fundamentalists in Afghanistan to take out the Russians in the 80s and got the Taliban. And then they did a repeat of arming Muslim fundamentalists in Iraq and Syria in order to try to take out uh, Assad and got ISIS. I, that is a perfectly logical parallel of saying, we made this mistake several times. Oh, and taking out Gaddafi uh, in Libya helped create uh, Boko Haram or another group in North Africa whose name I don't remember at the moment, and saying, we've made this mistake several times. But he never made a direct statement of, here's the historical parallels of how we screwed this up. or. We aid this ally and then we screw them over. So we did that to Saddam Hussein and that's why he hated us. We aided him against Iran and then we gave Iran missiles to help uh, fight the Contra, get money to fight the Contras. And then we did some of the same stuff with the Kurds in Iraq. Uh, we're going to help you. No, we're not going to protect you. Uh, I, if he had made just some of those overarching parallels as bulleted lists of takeaways, that would have helped. I it's think also like, like what Aline said, he didn't really make a conclusion. He throws out a bunch of emotionally manipulative terms that kind of let you to see what he thinks, but he doesn't really end with a conclusion. Um, 
the, the conclusion is that we caused some of these problems. I would like to see a prequel, him do a prequel, because it didn't. He starts in Afghanistan, but I like to see him go back to like Iran in '53 when the CIA and MI6 got rid of the democratically elected prime minister and installed the Shah, and then that eventually led to the revolution. Or go back even further, Korea. Talk about Vietnam. Talk about World War II. Um, so yeah. I, I think we should just treat this as like a fact list of facts and draw our own conclusions and kind of ignore his like little hints at a conclusion. Yeah. There's, there's another comparison I wanted to point that he failed to make, but before I do that, or I'll do it at some point, I just want to make sure we hit some of the people who haven't had a chance to speak yet. If there's anyone who wants to, because I think we still have three or four people who haven't. Well, I think this book could have been um, very, a lot shorter if uh, he just did a like, go back to high school geometry proof flowchart and say this equals this because this because this and then we wouldn't have gotten the right wing people wouldn't have gotten pissed off and distracted by the um constant theory and all right and neocon stuff which is my bias i was distracted over getting the facts because i wanted the facts i want to have those um interesting um tidbits and make my own decision based off that but the distraction of oh yeah jared kushner is a moron or whatever like you can't <laughs> you can't do any of that and get the and convert me like you're not you can't be a douchebag excuse me you can't be an a person belittling me and then expect me to convert to your way of thinking. So I think he would have converted more right-leaning people, more um, at least logical, and I'm an engineer, so logically-minded people if he had just done a proof, but then he wouldn't have gotten a book deal, so. Cheeky Mayor, maybe you should um, do the do that flow chart for us because I started to try to draw one and it looked like I was trying to solve a murder, and it, like a conspiracy. You are trying to solve a murder. <laughs> red string, get some red string and a wall in your house. Yeah, you'll be fine. Uh, anyone else? What about Christina? Uh, you're muted, Christina. Muted. There we go. Um, I only made it about a quarter of the way through because I have a hard time with names when it's John Smith and Eileen Johnson. You start throwing these 47 syllable Arabic names at me and <laughs> I'm totally lost. Um, and I, it just, two things really came to my mind. One is, um, boy, is the woke left going to be in for a surprise when all these um, insurgents they armed in the U.S. to try to take down Donald Trump. Trump's gone and they turn on them. Woohoo! You're going to have a disposal problem, aren't you? Um, and the other thing was this sense of there, there being nobody you can trust. It's like it doesn't matter who's in the White House. There's all these people behind the scenes pulling strings, hiring PR campaigns to convince us of things um, yeah, it makes Wag the dog look like amateur hour. And um, add to that the fact that we just had 
um, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani basically saying, you know, lizard people from Venezuela um, conspired with CIA operatives in Barcelona to hack the election for the Democrats. And it's like, you know, it doesn't sound crazy anymore. <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't know. And, and my takeaway was, I just don't know what to think other than it, it seems like there's nobody that can be trusted at all. Yeah. yeah. I love your hat, hat, by the way. Very lovely. Christina, I- It's uh, a homemade Buster Keaton hat. <laughs> I, um, I resonate with a lot of what you just said. Um, my, I would say that this book made me feel very spooked. Like I, I just kept reading something and then I, I was just like, okay, yeah, my, my, worst, conspir my, my worst conspiracy theories are, are probably right. Cool. That's that's great. Um, <laughs> I've also been watching House of Cards while reading this book, so that's probably a really bad combination. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of what I my one of my overall impressions was um, that like I think what I like about Trump is that he doesn't fit the mold of a politician. He's actually I, I think in a weird kind of way he is he's like apolitical. He's not, but but I think like he doesn't fit the mold that, that people, like he can't, we were talking earlier about how uh, once you're in an organization and the organization wants to do a certain thing, there's not much you can do, you have to go along with it. I feel like Trump is because he is such a larger in life persona, they can't do that to him. They can't fit him into this, like you must cooperate. Like he doesn't care, he'll just keep going. And I, I think, I like I figured out why I, I literally like wrote it in my book as I was as I was uh, reading I was like I think I know what I wh why I like Trump it's it's because he he doesn't speak like a politician he's not eloquent he's clumsy he says stupid things that are of course going to be grabbed by the media and taken out of context but I love that because I know I'm not being bullshitted like like it that's what mm -hmm. makes it uh refreshing so with all of his faults like I I, I think Carter said earlier, like, um, like I agree. Like, I think, I think Max Blumenthal, like he is, um, in a weird kind of way because he starts to list facts so often, sometimes he can be almost, almost unbiased, like not, he's definitely got his bias, but I, I was able to kind of take it as that. And, um, through listing all of his facts, I'm like, yeah, Trump doesn't actually seem that bad in the large cast of characters. I definitely agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. There's something else I was gonna say on that note, but um, oh, the other thing. So there was just one little thing that spooked me also, and it was um, it was in a mention. It was very briefly, um, and it was it, it was with regard to the um, Boston Marathon bombings and like. I don't know if this was Blumenthal's bias creeping in. Like, I don't know if he he's like mind reading what the people were saying or if this was like an actual statement, but they were like, oh, like the people just went into lockdown. They, they didn't question anything. Mm. They just went, and I was like, oh no, like mm. it's happening. Like, <laughs> so anyway, that was my general impression. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now it doesn't even take a bomber. Yeah, and it's funny that. that the same people mocking Trump for talking about the deep state, if Blumenthal's right, they are the deep state. So the lizard people are standing there going, there's no lizard people. Yeah, it's freaky stuff going on.
so much gaslighting. Yeah, there is a lot. You know, that's one of the things that I have. You seen Cernovich's? Has anyone seen Cernovich's um, short documentary on Qatar or Qatar? I guess it's pronounced. It's it's like twenty minutes. It's totally worth watching. But the the amount and, and Max talks about this in this book a little bit. But the amount of money coming from Saudi Arabia <laughs> and Qatar and other large Middle Eastern funders into think tanks and PR agencies in America uh, that produces, uh, I'll say reports in quotes, that get picked up and used both to make legislation and, and to inform news media about what's going on is shocking. It's shocking how, and, and the little, and the fact that we don't actually have journalists, and like we don't have journalists really for the most part. <laughs> They, we, we have people who will read this stuff and parrot it back or ask a question of a senator and parrot it back to us. That We just have people who, who regurgitate stuff that don't no, no one actually fact checks or investigates or makes sure anything's true or questions the source. We never hear about the fact that Saudi Arabia funded this and Qatar's funding that and this organization that put this report out uh, has an agenda very clearly and it's it, and you don't have to look that hard to see the agenda um and that's one of the things that scares me most because i kind of knew we all kind of know about the military industrial complex and we all kind of i think both sides kind of recognize that that's there but the fact that there really is not only is there no oversight by the press or the people at all there's the opposite there's the they they're the press is a propaganda arm for this um, and, and that really is pretty scary because the people are the, the people are the last bulwark against, <laughs> you know, misbehavior. Like we're the ones supposed to be keeping the government in check and we don't know, I think someone else well, on this we chat don't said, have, we don't know what to believe because we don't, we like, don't have a fourth estate. Yeah. Everything's propaganda. And there, there was a part in here where he used the, he almost used the phrase from Noam Chomsky, the, he, the, basically that the press had manufactured consent. From the public for the war yeah. he, you know uh here on page 109 this isn't the one i was looking for but he says um he was among the hundreds of thousands who protested the iraq war so was i um the movement size and reach was surprising considering the tsunami of pro-war media it was later mm -hmm. calculated that there were six positive stories about the case the case for war for every critical one and it's just it, the the it was the media's job. He says later, you know, the Iraq War. He quoted someone as saying the Iraq War was possibly the first U.S. war that here it is the first war based almost entirely on a covert propaganda campaign targeting the media. I mean, they use the media. Um, one thing that to go back to uh, people talking about Trump and his, maybe his blind spot on Trump. I did think he failed to make the comparison between. Like he was a part of the hundreds of thousands protesting the Iraq war, right? And and he, he clearly views that as a good thing. And he's almost saying, he says the movement size, the anti-war movement size at that time and reach was surprising considering the amount of pro-war propaganda we were being fed. But then he fails to make that comparison, I think, with Trump. It's like, if there were six positive war stories for every one critical war story, look at Trump. There's probably 50 critical stories about Trump for every one positive one. It's even more mm -hmm. propaganda. And yet he doesn't seem to empathize with the uh, with the Trump voter in the way that he 
empathize with and was one of the war protesters. I thought that was a, a kind of a failed comparison there that he, he doesn't. Yeah, well, I, you're making me think of one of the most obvious biases that I noticed in the book was um, when he talked about, hold on, I might even have a page reference. Yeah, on page 263 in my, I have this copy. Uh, he talks about the LBGTQ um, support. Yeah. Uh, and he has, he paints this picture of the Republicans as this like evangelical 1980s version of like moral majority kind of people that just don't exist. That just, they don't exist. Um, and he, I mean, some of them do, but that's not Republic. He won't give them any credit for actually, maybe they actually care about uh, LBGTQ issues and maybe they, maybe they're sincere about this. And he says, um, he, he calls it, what does he say? Many members of the party base believe yeah, that, yeah. yeah, they were possessed by satanic demons. He's talking about lesbians and gays. By laundering pro-gay politicking behind the narrative of Islamophobia, Trump was able to neutralize any evangelical backlash while targeting a demographic that had turned solidly against the GOP. So what he's he's basically saying like he didn't even mean it. He doesn't mean it. They don't mean any yeah. of this stuff. It's like and and he's living in this world where he thinks that Pat Robertson is still like the example of the Republican Party. Um, which is just so dishonest to me. That's something that I thought was extremely dishonest. He can't actually believe that. That's got to be dishonest. He can't be that well, disconnected from what's happening today. No, I think he is. That, that's well, actually, derangement yeah. syndrome. In the Maybe. 1980s, there was a huge um, thing within the evangelical community about how, like, there was all this satanic involvement in government and and uh, people were getting demon possessed and Procter and Gamble was part of the greater satanic uh, narrative. Um, and Pat Robertson did run for, was a presidential candidate. I believe it was the 1980s or 1990s. So it was maybe the 80s, he's just, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's probably just like kind of stuck back there. Maybe it was traumatic for him himself. And he's just kind of working out his own traumas in this, in that statement. That's all I can think of. Yeah, but I mean, it's that's so that's is, so not is, true anymore. He is right? Right? I mean, that there's only 40, he's 42. So yes. he was he was born in I'm looking him up. He was born in 77. So so okay, uh, like he wasn't even voting age when Pat Robertson was running. It is possible that Blumenthal is actually that Christophobic. Yeah, Handmaid's Tale is the Christian version of Elders of Zion, of look at these evangelical conservative Christians. They want to rape women. They want to force mm -hmm. to have babies and rape them. And they don't care about the women once they have the baby. They just want to oppress them. And it's smearing conservative Christians as wannabe Taliban. Mm -hmm. Handmaid's yeah. Tale considered a top-selling Netflix series because the book is taught in university as if it is true. Which book? Which book? Of, if fascism comes to the United States, it's going to come waving a flag and carrying a Bible. Mm. She's talking about The Handmaid's Tale. But I will interrupt here oh. and say it is one of my favorite books. It's been my favorite book since I was 16. But when I was, I actually got to take a whole class on it, on Margaret Atwood in college. And 20 years ago, it was obvious. We talked about how the subtext of that book was, it was critical of, uh, of, of, 
uh, radical Islam. We talked about how she was she was using conservative, like in, in her futuristic dystopia, she was basically saying, what if what if conservative religious fundamentalist Christians became this you know anti-woman and this this tyrannical and oppressive but she was basing all of it on radical islam and now they've dropped that they've dropped the subtext entirely like you're saying tamra with the with the tv show is completely like they're just taking it at face value and saying oh look see how bad religious fundamental christian religious fundamentalists are i've been accused of hate speech for saying there have been real world sex slave markets and ants as female enforcers I mm-hmm. see that both. It's like, well, you can't criticize Islam. That's Islamophobic. They had sex slave markets. They had women who were married to top guys going around putting piercers in the breasts of women who breastfed in public because, oh my God, they exposed their breast in public. Mm. Going, be afraid of the Christian conservatives. They're really evil. Now, and then Pence and Amy Coney Barrett get demonized as being the Marthas and the head of the movement and be afraid they're going to create a Christian Taliban. And then for somebody who's more secular like Trump, then it's like, he doesn't really believe it. He's a hypocrite. And I also noticed the very deliberate, no true Scotsman fallacy that the neoconservative, very liberal Republicans like Bush one and two, they're real conservatives the conservative evangelical base that is a third to half of the Republican electorate, they're not real conservatives. They want to be Taliban. They're not conservatives. So if you reach across the aisle, you go talk to McCain and you go talk to Bush and you go ignore those evangelicals. They're not really Christians. They don't count. Go oppress them and be afraid of them. He is Christophobic and a bigot. Well, he seems to be more afraid, like, they do seem to be more afraid of the Christian Taliban than the actual Taliban, right? Like, they, they've got this, they've got this, like, oh, Christians are going to do these crazy things. And it's like, but, hey, Taliban, do you need some guns and some some training? Here you go. And, oh, yeah. he, ever, and he then describes the Taliban. Islam has created multiple theocracies in the past 10 years from Aceh province in Indonesia, ISIS and Iraq, Boko Haram in North Africa. I'm trying to forget, remember the name of the one in the Somali Peninsula versus Northern Nigeria. But here you've got multiple regions where everybody's a fundamentalist Muslim and creates these oppressive theocratic regimes. No, they're not really Muslim, but go bash the conservatives at, based on this minority little thing that never really happens much less on a national scale that was one well of the, well i disagree with that i don't look at christian really christianity is not pure either maybe not in recent years but you know it does have a history of uh of some serious uh problems like the inquisition and the crusades irrelevant and, utterly is that irrelevant? Fucking irrelevant modern christianity isn't murdering people in the name of jesus Muhammad Muslims around the world are, including other Muslims, Sunni versus Shia, Sunni and Shia versus Alawite, Sunni and Shia versus the Almaty, who have been treated like crap for years in Pakistan. They are regularly killing each other across sects. Barring Ireland, you have not had Protestants and Catholics killing each other 
on a regular basis quoting the Bible. I think he, that he, I don't think he's disagreeing though. I think he's saying in the history, right, of Christianity, we have seen this, just not in modern times. Yeah, but Christianity as atheist, contextualized just... the violence several centuries ago. Islam has yet to do so and murders those that. Well, try. also, you have to maybe think that Christianity is a more mature religion. Maybe it has a, had time to grow up. Irrelevant. Uh, yes. Islam is a 1400 year old <laughs> faith. You can make that argument about Mormonism 100 years ago. You cannot make that argument about Islam today. Well, let me, just, let me let the atheist jump in because I'm not biased about <laughs> I don't like any religion. So let's just be clear. Yep. Uh, Christianity has evolved since the time of the Crusades. And, 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 and by the way, the Crusades are often mischaracterized because uh, their reaction to Muslim aggression, largely, not completely, um, which no one talks about because you're not supposed to learn that. Um, but Christianity has largely evolved and you don't see modern Christian groups, uh, waging the equivalent of jihad or even talking about waging the equivalent of jihad. You do see, and you don't see that with the Mormons either. And you don't see that with the Scientologists as weird as they are. You do mm -hmm. see it with Islam. Islam still believes and, and there are Imams who, who are popular who have uh, large audiences who still talk about using force and and instituting a caliphate and and slaughtering non-believers. So I think there is a, for me as an atheist, there is a distinct threat from Islam that is different from other religions that I see. Tell me I'm wrong, but that that's, modern well, Islam is different. I wouldn't yes. say Islam in general. Yes, there is certainly, distinct Islamic uh, subgroups, but like you don't see that with the Sufis, for example, the Sufis are peaceful. No, not all Generally. Islam, not right. all Islam, but there are still large sects of Islam that do believe that. Yes. I'm yes. also an atheist. And so like, but I, I don't, I, I'm firmly in the, in the sense that I believe that every like person has a right to, to practice their religion you know, as long as it's not harmful to other people. And I had a serious problem with him, with his cognitive dissonance of saying, we funded these extremists and when they did, this is what happened to the women in those countries. They lost their jobs, they lost access to education, they had to cover themselves. Like he, re he recognizes that. Cases. Yeah, their mm -hmm. lives in some cases. He recognizes all that. But then he, he claims that no Muslims leaving these places brought any of that uh, sexism with them to other nations. And it's like, that's impossible. I'm sorry. That's that, like, not all of them. I will agree that I'm never a 100%, you know, that doesn't exist. There's like a million sects of freaking Christianity alone that I can recognize that not everyone is going to be like that. But I agree that a, they, they, Sharia law exists and a lot of it is very, very violent and very like homophobic and sexist. It's misogynistic and it's racist and not recognizing that is part of the problem. We cannot ignore it and he ignored it. And in fact, he downplayed any kind of fear of it as Islamophobia. And it's like, that's not fair. That's not fair to the women it's hurt. It's not fair to the gay people that it's hurt. It's 
it's totally uh, cruel to not recognize those victims. I think, and I think you're so right, Alex. And I think by doing that, he actually, he does what he describes so well in the book between like fueling the thing that's supposedly your enemy. I think, he, I think people who don't allow mm -hmm. the conversation to happen about radical Islam and about, because they don't allow it to happen, you're actually, because I think he's very afraid of Islam, the word Islamophobia, it works. He uses it all the time. He's a believer in it. But I think he actually, in some ways, probably is helping to fuel Islamophobia because he doesn't seem to want to, I don't know, uh, allow a criticism of the extreme elements that still exist in modern society, in Islam. And if you can't do that, it seems to me that naturally you might cause people who, uh, who want to hear the truth and who want to be able to criticize those elements to gravitate towards the only people who are criticizing them, which might be people mm. who are saying, all Muslims are like this mm. and you know, so. Because they're the only ones willing to admit that it has a problem. There's even like a joke, like a graph of like interest versus like subject. And the subject is, do you want to talk about homophobia, uh, racism, misogyny in the Muslim community? And then it dives because no, because we're willing <laughs> right now to talk about those three subjects, but not in relation to Muslims. And that's BS. They don't get a pass. Right. <laughs> and as soon as you bring it up, you get accused of saying all Islam is this, all Muslims are this, when like really all you're talking about is there is a non-negligible percentage of what, radical what percentage? Islam. That's, that's, can, can you put a number on it, Carter? I can't put a number on it, but I can say they've, uh, <laughs> they're in control of several Middle Eastern territories right now. So it's not negligible. That's by definition, mm -hmm. that's non-negligible. Mm -hmm. Do I know what the number is? No, but there's no, I don't know of any county in the States or a county sized territory in the world that's in the control of radical Christian fundamentalists who are, you sure. know, abusing women and doing so. I don't know of that, yeah, of any other enough. religion, but it is true for Islam. It's almost like asking to put a number on social justice ide ideologues in the U.S. too, because mm. I don't really know. I would say I would use that term, Carter, non-negligible, but I don't know if it's a large number of people who are adherents to the belief system or if it's just the powerful mouthpieces. But either way, I think I'm concerned about it. So, And in fairness, the U.S. might have made that number less negligible than it would that's have been right. otherwise. That's, that's his point. That's right. Yeah, I, and I'm not disagreeing with that, but it doesn't mean that just because we created it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's mm -hmm. okay, but now it's here and it has a lot of power yeah. and it is a problem. And I don't I don't think that the solution is for us to have, like I don't want a military solution. I would pull out and you know let the chips fall where they may because I, I don't want interventionism. But, uh, but I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, it shouldn't be taboo to say, well, there is an element of this and, and mm -hmm. that element and 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 that element look I, for all religion i i think if you want to be part of a western liberal democracy for any religion we we have to be able to say look these are the values of western liberal democracy you can come practice your religion but you can't be incompatible with these values and that goes true that's for christians jews muslims anyone these are the values that we hold and if you're if you're going to try and if you're going to uh upset those values like I don't know, women should be treated equally. 
fundamental value. You shouldn't throw gays off of roofs. It doesn't matter what your religion is. That's something that's inimical to liberal Western uh, values. And I don't, we seem to be afraid to have conversations about people's religion, um, mm -hmm. unless it's Christianity. Uh, we seem to be able to, we seem to be afraid to have any kind of criticism. And as an atheist, I, that pisses me off because religion deserves criticism. Religion is, there's a lot of bad ideas in a lot of religions and they're, ho they're horrible ideas. And some of them are not everyone in that religion believes that idea. I get that there's different sects and like you can pick up the Quran and interpret it one way and pick up the Quran and interpret it another way. I get it. But some interpretations of many religious texts are pretty bad and they should be condemned on moral grounds. And, yep. and I would say the same thing about a radical Christian who was preaching that women shouldn't drive and have educations as well. Like I would say the same thing about a Christian who interpreted the Bible that way. I just don't see many. The, the, this, is, this is where the book really falls down. It basically says, there's a problem. I'm gonna tell you how it works, but we're, we can't have an honest discussion about the conclusions because you're a stupid, stupid right winger who voted for Trump. If he, yeah. and that's why I say, if he, had, if he had only done the first two thirds of his subtitle, you know, how the national security state gave rise, gave rise to ISIS and Al-Qaeda. If he'd stopped there, this would have been a valuable book. But he took it a bridge too far by saying, and the rise of Donald Trump. That's where he, you know, jumps the shark, makes an invalid conclusion, and shuts down discussion of the actual problem. Well, and then at the I, same time, he's like distilling down Trump's uh, election down to one thing and when there are I wrote about this and there are like a thousand different things that fed into the way and it and it happened over 30 40 years how we mm -hmm. got Trump and it's not all about you know our actions in the Middle East there's a lot going on over here that happened that led to him and some of them were legitimate you know reasons to vote for him and pretending like those reasons don't exist is just, it's stupid. Yeah, Are and there's even some kind of irony there because I think one of the reasons that people voted for Trump is because they saw the entire deep state apparatus that Max Blumenthal spent an entire book laying out and they don't like it. And Trump spoke against it and they were like, I'll try this guy. So it's, it's really ironic that he's like, well, this is just this crazy reactionary thing. And look, I, we might not have had Trump if it wasn't for... Afghanistan, followed by Iraq, followed by like Libya, like maybe we wouldn't have, but he does paint it as like, oh, well, that's just racist, xenophobic stuff. There's nothing else there. And which is weird because Trump is the, I think a lot of people voted for Trump precisely because they saw everything that Max Blumenthal was hmm. outlining in his book and saying, we don't like that either. This is the, the guy we think could stand up to it. On the well, other hand, I will say this about his audience. Because you mentioned, Aline, that you don't feel like you're in the audience he's writing to. Uh, he is on the left. And I think I think what's interesting about him drawing that line to Trump and trying to explain Trump to people on the left is that, like, I can imagine myself maybe five years ago, maybe around 2015 or so, uh, I believed a lot of this stuff from the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And... But I also had, I questioned authority uh, at times, like I, I was in the group, like he was who protested the war and couldn't believe that people, Hillary Clinton and others were lining up for the Iraq war. And I think, I think of who I was at, in 2015 and 
this would be a book that would, if he were writing it for that version of me, a person on the left, it might open my eyes to a lot of things. Like for example, that Russia gate was a hoax um, that the left is it, the democratic party is no different than the Republican party in some ways. And it's almost like Trump has become such a weird um, symbol and, you know, he can be used for a lot of different things. And I think for some people on the left who can't imagine abandoning their TDS yet, they're not at that stage yet. <laughs> you might be able to hook them into this book by I'm going to explain Trump to you. And along the way there, I'm going to give you all these facts that you don't know because you're plugged into the machine. You know, I don't know. I think that I think this book might actually be very eye opening and revealing to uh, someone who's still uh, primarily in the echo chamber on the left and who hates Trump. It might open a lot of it open their eyes in so, to yeah. some things. Yeah, you're making a really good point. If all it does is convince a few people on the left that Russiagate was a conspiracy. If 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 that's all it does, it will have been worth something. There was a there was a professor in 1996. He was a philosophy professor. I believe his name was. I'll find it. He actually predicted a Trump-like figure. His name was um, philosopher Richard Rorty in 2004. No, so in 1996 he actually predicted a Trump-like figure um, to come up. And he wrote a book about it. And then he ended up committing suicide. <laughs> so, why, why, why did he commit suicide? Does it have anything well, to do with? Well, he was just a philosophy professor. And, you know, if you just get well, stuck in philosophy. what was going to happen. Uh, what did he oh. say? Yeah. yeah but was he killed or was it, I mean, was it? No, he committed suicide just okay, because okay. he was stuck uh, in. Oh, I thought you meant he was. No, no, no. Okay. Isn't it an Epstein case? <laughs> yeah, no, right. I'm oh, so okay. sorry if I I came I made it sound like that. No, he killed himself just because of his sense of hopelessness of the world, which oh, could wow. very very easily, especially if you're a philosophy major or professor, you could go in circles and circles and end up in the same place and feel hopeless. But he predicted, um, he said members, well, he said members of labor unions and unorganized unskilled workers will sooner or later realize that their government is not trying to prevent wages from sinking or to prevent jobs from being exported. Around the same time, they'll realize the suburban white collar workers themselves, desperately afraid of being downsized are not going to um, are not going to let themselves be taxed to provide social benefits for anyone else. And he goes on, um, and I'll find the name of the book and I'll post it if anyone wants to. But this has been a long time coming. Trump is not, you know, it's easy. It's really interesting because I look at like the psyche of a person who wrote, you know, the management of savagery. Savagery, and I, I, you know, make up a story in my own head. <laughs> well, this guy was probably like traumatized by an evangelical parents or you know, that were really strict. And then he, but like, you know, um, mm. many of us, we, mm. well, many, if not all of us act out of a place of trauma. And so when there's like these overarching labels and overarching mm. is because mm. of how we've been hurt. And so mm. we can mm. see how the author himself has these overarching terms and overarching, and it comes from a place of trauma, I believe. Um, and then like, um, I, I don't remember your name, sir. You, you grew up in Israel till the age of yeah, 11. Yeah, you all. Yes, yes. I, I, so I want to say something, but wait. Yeah, no, I was going to yeah. say, 
thank you so much for saying these things like not Netanyahu, his, his policies and all these things after the moment his death, his brother died. Like those, these moments, these before and after moments that uh, kind of dictate the rest of our lives. If we're not, if we're not careful, if we're not observant and if we don't um, get the help we need, you know, and then we get people that agree with us and say, yeah, that's right. And, you know, like president Lincoln, yeah. although people argue about president Lincoln's um, reason for, you know, initiating the pro or whatever, like not, uh, allowing the civil war or agreeing with like slaves um, being able to vote and be free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like, he had men around him who disagreed with him, um, mm. but they had the same goal. I feel that's very, very important. And that's why this book club is very important because we have atheists, we have Christians, we have disagreements happening and yet there's a sense of compassion and kindness and empathy. So I just wanna encourage that. Thank you. Yeah, I also wanted to say something about the trauma. Um, so, so yes, there's, there's personal trauma, everybody has that, yeah. but um, there's also collective trauma. Like I know, uh, like us Jews have collective trauma dating back, you know, 2000 years at least, but, but, um, but of course, you know, I, a lot of people on the left would just use that as an excuse um, mm -hmm. to, to, to not get better and, and start seeing the world in new ways. I mean, they, they, so, you know, people on the right always say personal responsibility. Yes, yes, that's important also. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, let's not, let's not use trauma as an excuse to, to not use our minds and, and, and hearts and um, try to think more clearly and try to, uh, try to make the world a better place as, mu as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I wanted to say um, about, um, uh, wait, what was it? Um, the, whole, the whole conspiracy theory thing. I mean, of course, there's a deep state. Yes, it's not, not, not the thing that I don't like about a lot of conspiracy theories is that they sort of imply that there is one player that, that is doing, and, and in reality, there's many interests that are competing with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to imagine that, that you can, you know, just have the one, one player controlling everything. No, the competition exists even, even in the deep state. And, you know, the CIA is not always in cahoots with the, with the FBI or with the executive branch. And, and, you know, Israel and Saudi Arabia are also competing. It's it's not, which which I think is is um, gives me hope that that it's 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 not so bad. You know, in the end. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, you there's get an a entire lot of play unholy alliances. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I seen you get a lot of unholy alliances. You get people who don't have the same motivations, and well, yet they work together hand in glove to. For sure. Um, achieve things and okay my my main topic's abortion when the national organization for women was deciding whether they were going to take a pro-life or a pro-choice stance the playboy foundation and zero population growth came to them and said you guys need money if you phrase this as a women's rights issue will undermine i will underwrite the campaign 
And that's when the pro-life feminists splintered off and it became this 100% women's rights things. But if you look, you got the population control zealots who do not have choice on their list of things that matter to them. Eugenicists, um, deadbeat dads, it's this unholy alliance and they, they pick their front man and put it forward. And you know, if it happens in this one um, purview, it's happening everywhere that these alliances where you're willing to make a deal with the devil if they'll get you what you want. Mm -hmm. It's a very rare yeah, thing to find. Point, yeah. yeah. As as we've seen though with uh <laughs> just look at look at the this book. Um they're temporary, right? So there's there's right. kind of ephemeral yeah. alliances often. It's like, oh well we like these guys. Well now we like these guys. Well now we think this is what we want to do and this alliance works. Now it doesn't. We're supporting uh, you know, Saddam, now we have to kill Saddam. We're, you know, <laughs> we've funded and trained bin Laden. Now he's the most evil person in the world. Um, granted, he had played a role in that, but there is, there is, you know, there is a lot of, uh, I kind of think of it as like, there's this, there's the front that we're looking at, the front end that we're looking at where people say things publicly and the media reports and stuff, but there's an entire theater behind the scenes of, of not as, as Yuval said, not one person controlling it. There's just another theater behind the scenes of all, all these different agendas and fighting and things going on and alliances and all this stuff happening that we're just not privy to. We just don't get to see it because it's all hidden from us. And we just get some distilled version of whatever, whoever happens to be controlling our media outlets at that time, right? I, mean, it, I think it looks, it can look like a conspiracy because of what's happening. It just seems like it must be organized. How could, how could this happen? Um, when you're talking about a timeline, I started thinking about like the timeline, depending on where, how far back you wanted to go, if you want to start with Iran, uh, we overthrew the government of Iran, installed a new government there. Then uh, the timeline in Afghanistan, like we were uh, good buddies with Saddam, Hussein, right? We funded him for 10 years. We got him to start a war with Iran, who mostly used U.S. weapons because we were previously buddies with them. And we started that whole war up and like Saddam Hussein was a buddy. And then when uh, they got the Russians to invade Iraq, that's when Osama bin Laden got involved and we funded him and trained him and trained all his people and gave him weapons. And, and then he fought the Russians off and everything was cool. But it reminds me of a line Dave Smith uses. Uh, I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but he says, um, if you want to know who our next enemy is, just check to see who the government's funding right now. <laughs> so it, if you use that That's rule, so it's Saudi Arabia, I think. <laughs> so it's like, it seems to me Saudi Arabia is our next enemy. What about Israel? Uh, what about Israel? <laughs> uh, Israel, maybe, maybe the one after that. Uh, Israel, okay. <laughs> I think, is too tied in with our government. I think it'd be really hard to mm -hmm. go up against Israel. And Israel's got a little more going for it than Saudi Arabia, <laughs> as far as the culture. Um, for sure, for sure. But but the uh, Saudi Arabia, like I thought it was interesting in Blumenthal's book. I didn't know, but he talks about the 29 pages in the 9-11 report where they investigated mm. the Saudi connection with 9-11, and that was all redacted. Redacted, yeah. Like, I want to read that section. Yeah, the only pushback I'd give on Saudi Arabia is we don't fund them; they fund us. So, uh, yep. I'm not sure that <laughs> they oh, would be the next target. <laughs> but um, boom. Oh. But yeah. No, I'm hmm. serious. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know it's true. 
Well, indirectly, what do you mean? There was like the arms deal that was negotiated with them, but I guess it's U.S. companies or how does it work? I well, and they fund a lot of uh, it seems that they fund a lot of the military operations that we want funded and things that we want done in the Middle East for us. Right. The money mm. comes from Saudi Arabia often. Um, mm. And they also are very big in the in Wall Street like they. A lot of um, a lot of LPs for venture funds and hedge funds and like a lot of it is Saudi money. There's a lot of Saudi mm. money floating around. So what's an LP? Uh, a limited partner. It's just like someone who puts the money into a fund that then goes and invests in companies. Mm. Can I uh, bring up some trivial but weird point uh, or a bit uh, tidbit? One of my friends is in this book. <laughs> no way. Yeah, on page 135. So among Bannon's significant hires was Breitbart, at Breitbart was Julia Hahn, a hyper-ambitious online writer in her early 20s who hailed from the same affluent Southern California environment as Stephen Miller. Okay, Julia um, was was part of my um, my gun school in Los Angeles. She was young. I think she was still in high school then. And super sweet girl and really bright and a good shot. And uh, she was one of the instructors at the girls gun club I was at. And I didn't even realize she had gone. I knew she went on to work for the Laura Ingraham show when I was in New York working on my SJW comedy show, totally biased. <laughs> and she was working for the Laura Ingraham show. And then, and then I lost touch with her. We didn't stay in touch. And I didn't know what, you know, I didn't hear her name again until Trump was elected. And then I read a hit piece about my friend about about what a crazy white nationalist she was and all these ties and stuff and uh and then i read how she had left our laura ingraham and gone to breitbart and then you know started working for the trump administration anyway i'm reading this book and i'm like oh my gosh there's my little friend again i just know it's this sweet but they try to paint her that that's that's where um it's almost like in the documentary hoaxed where cernovich interviews um what's her name who did the red pill documentary Cassie J. Yeah. And she explains how once she was targeted by the media for hit pieces and smears that tarnished her reputation and character, then she started to realize, hey, what if there's a lot of people who I believe things about that are not true? Because now I've seen it. I've uh, seen it happen to me. Uh, and so now I need to go back and reinvestigate what I actually think about people. Like I just take it face value that so-and-so is this alt-right mm -hmm. character or whatever. And how do I know? And anyway, that just reminded me of that. Cause I'm reading about her and I'm like, um, to see someone that you know, or used to know anyway, sort of just written up in kind of a third person as being this like shadowy figure who uh, is sympathetic to white nationalism. When I, I've never heard a single thing. There's nothing about her that would lead me to believe that that's true. Um, it's very dehumanizing. Yeah, it is. And you never know. And it makes you wonder, like, once again, you know, how many preconceptions do I have about certain figures and about people that are just based on um, this big propaganda machine with mm. goals and aims that are out that just kind of use people as cogs and as, as you know, even Blumenthal, I think, as aware as he is of the propaganda machine, he still buys into some of those things that they're selling. Like I would never call Gavin McGinnis a white nationalist, for example. I just never, and I, I looked into it because 
people told me he was, and I was going on his show once and I was like, well, let me find out before I go on. And I didn't find anything to make me believe that's true at all. But, you know, he says it as if it's just a fact. Yeah. I think he, it seems like he, yeah. he learned his little <laughs> narrow world and he doesn't believe the propaganda in his narrow world, but then he doesn't apply that anywhere else. He's like, oh, well, uh, none of this war stuff is true because I understand how that propaganda works. But everything else, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I'm just going to accept at face value. Um, and he does that He's to the, the Draw Muhammad contest. He like he paints them as like, oh, well, they, they're pretending to care about free speech. Uh, my friend and someone who we interviewed won the Draw Muhammad contest that he references in this book. And I know exactly why he did it. It was about free speech. Like they're angry that Mus the Muslim community is saying you can't draw Muhammad. And he's like, that's why I draw Muhammad. Because you say I can't. Like it's it is all about free speech. Um but he paints it as like they're pretending it's about free speech. They they're just Islamophobes. That's what it is. It's like, all right, well I think part of the problem, Carter, and to going back to what you're saying and maybe what Aline said, it's like he has this impression in his mind that Oh, shit. Six that are bad. Right? You are a right wing, so you are a flammophobe and you're a racist. No, I mean, he doesn't necessarily say racist in the book, but you know what I'm saying. So that sort of collective thought process that sometimes are ascribed to a group. And they say, oh, everybody is like that. If they're a part of that group, that's your characteristic too. And we, unfortunately, in the world where today, we suffer that. I mean, there's so much of that happening and that's the problem. They don't, they don't want to... You know, instead of looking at people by based on what they do individually, we we ascribe something to everybody, right? Oh, everybody's like that. If you're a Christian, oh, you're a you know, a hate uh, gays, which is obviously not true. But there's people who believe like that, believe that, and it's it's such a big uh, a big problem. Hopefully, we can move away from that. Um, you know. The, and very true what you're saying. I mean, he when he wrote the book, that's one of the things that was a little bit difficult to sort of follow in terms of believing what he's saying is because he does bring a lot of facts in that when you read it and then you do your own research, you might say, well, that is true, that's true, that's true. But then he brings in all these little blurbs or burbs and things that he says that are like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't know if I believe that's your opinion, but that's not necessarily that I wouldn't say that's true. And, and like you said, in the case of the, uh, the speech, uh, you know, draw Mohammed thing. Oh, that those people are obviously are, are probably thinking they're racist. Right. And it's, it's, it's because of, why do we have to subscribe on people and think everybody is bad? It's almost like there's some group of people that always interpret the intentions of others as evil or bad or something instead of, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt many, many times, or, or, you know, there that's, it's happening so much. So. Yeah. Generally, I, I, I think you should take people, I don't know, when you meet someone or whatever, or take them in good faith until they give you reason not to trust them anymore. And we just exactly. don't tend to, we don't do that anymore. We just automatically are like, Oh, you're on that side or you've therefore you're in bad faith or you have secret beliefs that you never state that I know 
<laughs> I know you have those beliefs. That's you've never way said. common, way more common <laughs> than it used to be, right? I don't know where that came from, but I, Carrie, I don't feel like that's what it used to be like, but now it is like that. You have secret beliefs. I'm oh, you voted for Trump. You must have secret beliefs about blah, blah, blah. You have secret beliefs you don't even know you have, but I know you have them. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. even that. For me, um, it's like we're basing, there are so many people in, in power. There are people with certain agendas. They want to write a hit piece to get people to believe and sway public opinion in this way and that way. And it's like that affects our interpersonal relationships. Like that affects like how we see other people. And it's all based off of this assumption that everything that we all take in is correct. And it's often not, it's deliberate, it's deliberately um, manufactured or it's, it's skewed so heavily to one side. And it's like, if we're basing our own opinions off of information like that, and other people are doing that as well, and we're judging them based on that, like, then it's all just nonsense. To me, it's like, you, ha you have to just kind of almost like assume baseline that, that nothing, just be, just question, I, okay, this is, question all the content that you see, but don't question people that you meet. When you meet people, give them the benefit of the doubt, but the information you're seeing, don't give that the benefit of the doubt. Be very critical of it, be very scrutinizing. I think that is like one of the only ways out of this. Cause I think at this mm -hmm. point where like my, the way I see it is like, I, I find myself getting really angry. Um, and then I'm like, where is this rage coming from? Like I, I'm, and I think we have a tendency to paint um, the, you know, someone that might disagree with us as the worst possible version of, of so, if, you know, if I, if I, if I vote for Trump, then I must secretly be some awful, you know, the worst type of, of, of Trump supporter. Um, you know, those secret beliefs, like some, someone, you know, is assuming I have secret beliefs about something or whatever. And I think that comes from, from dishonest journalism in part. It's like, well, okay. Like all the, like before, like in my life in the past, like the only examples I had of Trump supporters were bad, like the worst types of people. And so I thought, okay, well, Trump must be that way. And everything, everyone who agrees with him must be that way. And, and it's like, I catch myself doing it now with, with Biden. I'm like, no, stop it. Like, I know that that's not that simple, like at all. And it's, I think it's a combination of like our very like primal brain, like in the back or like our just our stupid monkey brains. And then that combined with like social media and journalism. And it's just, it's like, yeah, you, you can't, it's, it's hard. It's hard to stop that. Yeah. What you're speaking of directly is scientifically proven. Our There's brains. Yes, our brain. Yes, Annie, we could we couldn't hear you because you were a little delayed. But Beth, Bethany, what were you saying? And then oh. maybe we. Can... I was saying, um, she just brought you just brought up an, an, a terrific point, and it's scientifically based um, and backed because we, as humans, we go straight to looking for the um, the threat. You know, like um, through the millennia and our the man's the human, the human brain goes straight for looking for the threat. And so it's very much so much easier to look for as a group to look for the threat and the thing that you can fight against rather than what we have 
in common, like we have our humanity in common. And so um, I think you just made a terrific point. And I want to just, I want to bring that to light where, you know, it's like, it's so much easier to be angry at, at someone when they're writing something rather than when you're sitting face to face with a person and you get to know them and their story. And um, so I just really appreciate you saying that. I worked the polls in Indiana and um, we had to wear R's or D's on our shirt mm -hmm. to, uh, and Wait, it, really? it was funny, the D's were yeah. I'm an R. If they were what? Parent. Um, I'm an, a Republican, an R. Yeah. We had to wear our D's on our uh, name tags so that we prove that we were unbiased. Wow. We could look at each other and say, oh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, it, it was to be, I think it was the first time that some of the D's had actually known that they were talking to a Republican. <laughs> um, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Um, and like, there was a, a, a lady there who, um, very nice lady. She was a lesbian and a D and she thought with my R first impression that I was going to attack her Aww. and think her lifestyle is wrong. And we got to talking, um, about her son and, and, uh, stuff he needed to do to become an engineer. And I was like, yeah, do this, this, and this. And she, it was funny. The the like taken aback um, look she gave me, like, why are you helping me? You're an R, <laughs> you know? So I think that this book, that's why I kept reading it is because I don't want to be in my own little echo chamber, both mm -hmm. um, mentally and socially. And, but, so I think this book was good, but I also think um, more people should be more social and talk to people who aren't necessarily their uh, same thought processes and stuff. Yeah. It's very hard to hate uh, an idea when it's attached to a person who actually is quite lovely. And so um, that's a really beautiful story that you just told us. I found that um... I, I read a lot of psychology books um, and I've been reading, I've read like five or six on borderline personality disorder. And I find that a lot of the political culture right now operates on a lot of the same principles of a borderline personality disorder. Like seeing hostility where there is none is like number one. And it's like, once you realize that that's what you're doing, and you can go, wait a minute, I don't have por per borderline personality disorder. You know, you can move past it. But I think a lot of people don't realize that they're pushing themselves into that because they're also, uh, their emotional responses are getting more and more intense. And they think that because everyone's after them that anything that they do is justified. And obviously that's not true. Well, also, the, those emotional overreactions are now being nurtured. You know, if you're triggered by the word Trump written in chalk on the sidewalk, you've got the woke left saying, oh, absolutely. He wants to round up all your gay and lesbian friends and put them in concentration camps. This fear that you feel is legitimate. You know, how are you going to get over your mental illness when you're being told that you're, 
your emotional overreactions that you should be in therapy for are something that you should cultivate because it's opening your eyes to the reality. Yeah. And Hyatt talked about how the colleges are currently teaching the mentally ill health pattern, mentally ill mental patterns, such as catastrophizing projection. And it's actually covered in the universities of going, they're white, they're conservative, they're men, assume that they're sexist, assume the negative. If that anything is, you know, we've got a more complex and diverse environment when people trip up on social stuff, assume they wanna hurt you. And they're teaching this. And it's the opposite of what you do to resolve paranoia, resolve anxiety and teach resiliency. Microaggressions is a great example of that. It, that is legitimately straight seeing hostility where there is none. It, that's all that is. And you're exactly. uh, assuming intent, intent of uh, everyone around you. And that's insane. That's, that's literally crazy. And they just, they keep pushing it. And it's like, it's not helping anyone. It's hurting. Uh, it's destroying families, relationships, friendships. It's destroying so much. And it really is, it's destructive. I think another, another to your point, Alex, about it being a lot like uh, BPD, um, there's something that is the, the whole splitting phenomenon where you put everybody in either good or evil groups is something that BPD people what is BPD? are uh, borderline personality oh, disorder. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And so I, that's a term they use to say when you tend to look at everyone and everything is either good or evil. And, and you'll flip the other person, you'll flip a single right. person when they do something like they'll be perfect and then an angel and then they do one thing and they're a demon. Right. Like monster. you're like, I could see that happening with, let's say you, there's someone, you know, who your friends are, then, then you find out they voted a way you didn't like Suddenly they're in the evil box. I didn't realize they were evil. Right. Like <laughs> it's kind of how. I, I, I think you're onto something though. I think that somebody in the chat even said, I finally poked over to chat. This has been such an engrossing, engrossing discussion. I haven't been able to look in there much, but somebody said you were right on and that we sort of maybe have a collective borderline personality disorder going on in this country. They also said that, that the book club group is becoming a hat club. It is. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's only two hats. Yeah. There's, there's three. Keith's got a hat. Uh, Sorry, but uh, say yeah, don't leave the guys out. Guys can wear hats. Um, oh, here we go. Now four. Um, you know, I was just gonna. I definitely agree with. Uh, you know, I think uh, Tamara was the one that brought up the Jonathan Haidt uh, and Greg Lukianoff uh, book, where they he talks specifically about how we are actually making psychological problems worse rather than doing the things that you would need to do to, to overcome psychological problems. Also though, I mean, just, if I just introspect a little bit, I mean, we know humans are evolutionarily tribal. Like we didn't evolve to have huge networks of people and know a lot of people and, and be exposed to that many uh, different viewpoints. I mean, we were, we were like a hundred, like what, 120 people or something like we evolved to have very small networks of people and we are inherently tribal that doesn't make it right but we do have inherent tribal tendencies and you know to be honest it can be difficult sometimes when you have a context of knowledge that's so divergent from someone else's context of knowledge and you meet them you know when you're when you're in a tribe your context of knowledge overlap very 
closely with everyone around you. So if someone in your tribe has a, a wildly divergent belief about something, there's something wrong with them. And there's an, an initial reaction that like, they must be from another tribe. Something's wrong with this person. Like they're, 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 they're crazy. When in fact, they may just have a completely different concept, uh, uh, content of knowledge. Uh, and, um, and I think we have, you know, Carrie, you've talked about this before, and Scott Adams talks about it. There's multiple movies playing at the same time and people reading completely different sources of information. And so when you run across someone and they, they make a claim or say something that seems so outlandish, it seems that way because your context of knowledge, that is a ridiculous thing to say, but their context of knowledge is almost doesn't overlap at all with yours. And it, I find it actually quite difficult personally, this is my own psychological problems maybe, but I find it quite difficult to like take a deep breath and take them for real and mm -hmm. actually have a conversation at that point. I, my tendency is to just to dismiss them and be like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you. you like, you're, you're crazy. You're out there. You're like, I don't, you're not someone that I can learn anything from. I want to go away. Um, and I have to really check myself and be like, okay, let's talk about like let's ha let's let's engage on some level of commonality somewhere to see where we diverge. I think that's actually hard. I don't think that's an easy thing to do. Um, maybe it's easy for everyone else, but it's not easy for me. I don't know. I think I think your reaction like is very human. Human reaction. Yeah, there's like two sides to every coin, right? So what you're saying, Carter. So we all come to things or come to ideas or thoughts based on how we perceive it from our side. Uh, so thinking about what you're saying, a good thing about the book, if you were not necessarily seeing things like Max Blumenthal was presenting them, it sort of opened your eyes to a different perspective on certain things. Uh, some ideas that we might have, like, hey, you know, like going back to the time of the Iraq war, you might've been somebody, I was probably, if you asked me back then, like, are you for the war in Iraq? I would have said yes, based on what I knew back then. But I didn't know. Sorry, there's some craziness happening at the house. But uh, yeah, so, you know, and so opening our minds to see the other perspectives that sometimes we don't see because in the world we live in today, we're so sort of like being driven around or just going focusing or just in our own little echo chamber and not seeing the other perspective because I think the majority of people are good people. And obviously, we can see things from our side very easily, sometimes not as easy to see the perspective of another person. But there's a reason why that other person thinks the way they do. So if we're able to sort of look at things now, after that, you can probably have a better idea of where you fall or maybe have believe better than that what you believe is the right way or you might be pulled a little more to the other side. You know, so in that book, I didn't agree with everything he said. And I, or I didn't view everything in the same way as he did, but in that respect, I did like it because it gave me some, maybe a view that I haven't seen per se all, all together, right? So I think in that respect, it was a good thing. And I did like at the end that he was seemed to be a little more reasonable in his opinions of what's been happening with the last four years. Yeah. Not like some people are saying like, oh, it's all, you know, 95% of what you hear about the current president is bad and no sort of credit for anything good that's happened over the last four years. It's almost like, well, my thought is that right now, when you have an outsider coming into a government, 
the government people who are living the working government work there forever most of the time there's like their job like that's their career and when they have an outsider coming in who's going to break up the status quo nobody wants that and they all just fight they, they're doing everything they can do to get that that outsider out and that's what's been happening in my view over the last four years and i think and also the world, money they want to keep yeah, I think they want to keep us also fighting on this increasingly meaningless RD, you know, dichotomy that Cheeky Mayor talked about. As long as they can keep Everybody, us, yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, it's so important if you're Republican or Democrat. And um, hey, I wanted to ask Michael. We haven't heard much from you. Was there anything that you wanted to say about the book? Or no, you don't have to. No, it's a thank you, Carrie. It, it, I found it, you know, a really good book. I really appreciate everybody's comments and. It, I think that there's a lot of good facts and information in it. It was a little hard for me to get past a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Max Blumenthal's history with Russia Today and Sputnik TV. So he's, from my perspective, he you know he is on the payroll of another country. Uh, Wait, what and, is his history? I don't know what that is. Can you? Yeah. Uh, so you know, he he is a journalist and. Sorry for the scare quote. <laughs> um, uh, for uh, RT, which is Russia Today, uh, and just I love I love history, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but uh, you know, kind of reading it in that light, it almost to me looked like there was sort of like a, an editorial uh, an editorial involvement by uh, the foreign ministry of Russia. You know, there 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 really is nothing if you're looking at it. From a Russian perspective, so why why would you? It's not particularly. That's not the topic. Uh, it's very isolated. But you know, Foreign Minister Lavrov comes into Syria and just you know puts everything back together. Uh, we start history in the book in Afghanistan after the Soviet invasion. So there's there one pro another problem of mine is just you know there is no history before Zygmunt Brzezinski is. In the Carter administration, so you know, the, there there was a whole canvas here in this part of the country, painted, repainted before anybody ever got there. So, you know, it's, but what's been said so far, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces. So uh, that's important to know. But I I just kind of noticed, you know, in, in many places he uh, brings Russian topics in you know, the the invasion of the breakup of Yugoslavia. Uh, sort of negatively portraying uh, you know, the, the Western involvement with that. I'm not saying it wasn't negative, uh, but uh, very kind of pro-Serbia in my, in my read, uh, very negative toward the Eastern expansion of NATO, whether, or good, whether that's good or not, uh, kind of a negative on Hungary, negative on uh, the perceived fears of countries in the Balkans, like Estonia of potential Russian threats, uh, that doesn't really hit you over the head with it, but uh, I, I see that perspective. It, it would have been uh, helpful to me to have, have that more uh, warning, you know, uh, I do work for Russia today. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking uh, at, he should have said this in the introduction, yeah. like, he, and actually, the, the sad thing about what you just told me is now I now I can see why the left that reads this will dismiss his Russiagate 
stuff in the afterward mm -hmm. as well. You're a Russian, you're a, you know, you're a Russian plant, and you didn't even say in the book. You didn't come out and, and say and you're in, paid. And by in Russia. fact, he could have said it. Remember, uh, somewhere in the first third of the book where he talks about how um, they were going after any media that was uh and that that was sort of a resistor against the iraq war like phil don he got canned right and yeah, he, he mentioned me rt and he, he mentions he rt say, yeah. He says, yeah yeah he says rt was targeted basically called a foreign asset you know he could have said by the way i work for them <laughs> yeah normally if you write an article about buying stock or the performance of apple stock you have to disclose i'm a shareholder of apple it seems like if you're going to write an entire book about this where russia is one of the central figures you might want to say uh my employment comes from i'm looking at his wikipedia page now uh sputnik and rt okay that that might matter i'm not saying he's i'm not using the genetic fallacy but it's you exactly. still need to say it exactly and it's just in, especially in today's world you know the whole we've gone through four years of russia 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 um kind of lay, laying this out all this is, these are all great facts this is very interesting <laughs> oh by the way <laughs> uh, oh <laughs> yeah you know um i did i did notice that in the um Okay, in the uh, a book, he almost never talks about Russia supplying weapons to these groups. And they do, I don't know if it's as much as the US, but they certainly do a lot of it. And he never mentions that. I thought that was interesting, and I didn't know why. Uh, you might have just explained why. And Wait, other, are you sure? Supply to I don't know about side? that. I don't know if I believe you when you say that. I, I think he might have mentioned that uh, in, in Syria, Russia, uh, Russia was involved in, in with some of the other I Syria did he mention in Syria how Russia was was going up against ISIS like Russia was helping the Syrian government kick ISIS out of Syria isn't that what he said but yeah, I, I, I think so I think long, of course a long history of uh, uh, the Assad family and Russia the Soviet Union before that uh, so certainly they had uh, have uh, an interest uh, in this, I think they have a risk. I mean, there's some reason the AK 47 is the most popular <laughs> and widely distributed rifle in the world, right? Like Russia, just <laughs> yeah, it's not the US sending guns around. And maybe yeah. an another thing I just occurred to me maybe the reason he knows all this stuff is because he works for Russia. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, but I'm just, just his Wikipedia page, just to be clear it says he's a regular contributor to sputnik and rt but formerly also a writer for the nation alternate the daily beast al akbar media matters for america he's contributed to al jazeera english the new york times and los angeles times so he's kind of all over yes, the place that's right you know um i did get the sense from the book though that he was i got out of the i mean maybe i already knew this so it's hard to tell but i got out of the book he wasn't hiding that russia supported assad that russia was propping up the the government in afghanistan and supplying like that was very to me that was very clear i don't remember him talking too much about russia and iraq or russia and libya but maybe well, russia had a direct involvement in syria they have a naval base on the mediterranean with syrian permission and that is their direct access to the mediterranean and the european market aside from sending stuff through the Black Sea, through the Bosphorus or Turkey into the Mediterranean. And they've had that military base for years. When they said, let's go in and attack Syria, 
I was working for a defense contractor. They went, this is stupid. You're going to get Russia involved. They don't care about you overturning Iraq, but Syria is their ally, not just as a, hey, we like you, but this controls the oil exports aside from the Gazprom pipelines that go through Ukraine and on through Eastern Europe. Syria is their Gulf access is what you're saying. Yes, Mediterranean. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree. It is it is dangerous to mess with Syria. That's a direct confrontation with Russia. And Russia was a large part of helping the Syrian government kick ISIS out more than the United States. And Tamara, uh, Tamara asks in chat, isn't Al Jazeera funded by Qatar? I think they are. Is, I mean, I didn't look it up. I guess I could quickly, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Al Jazeera is funded by Qatar. Well, I, I just want to say, Carter, now that we've... Um, given some criticism but also some praise to this book where dex probably going to be called in a russia propaganda outlet <laughs> i i should bring the big russia <laughs> i need one of those those big furry hats can i just um can, i just want to say something about the we were talking about um how it's difficult to like when, when you divide people into like this they're not in my tribe and so therefore it's difficult to kind kind of relate to them there's a flip side to that that I see through this tribalism, which is they are in my tribe, therefore they get no criticism. And to me, that's just as dangerous and just as prevalent. Um, that's how a lot of these people get away with a lot of the stuff they do because they've been labeled your tribe. And so once they're in your tribe, you don't criticize anything they do. Um, and frankly, Obama is a great example to me of <laughs> A lot of stuff that he did that should have been criticized, um, but wasn't because he was in the tribe and he was he was one of the he was labeled one of the good guys. So, uh, you know, we just don't talk about Drone Tuesdays or whatever it was. Yeah, there's a lot. He uses a lot of groupthink, and that that may help. That there's things in here that annoy people if they're in the group. I would think the deep state people, like people that work for the CIA, will hate this book. Um, and oh, I'm not, I'm an, I'm an atheist. So the Christian part, you know, I, I noticed it, but it didn't bother me. Um, I didn't vote for Trump either time. So him going after Trump didn't bother me either. Uh, the thing that got me the worst was when he said, uh, talked about the evil and toxic libertarian slash neocon actions in Afghanistan. I was, I was like walking in the woods, listening to you started yelling, there's no such thing. Like yeah, I was surprised. I'm like, that's does he I'm know in. what the word libertarian means? What is he talking about? I don't. I, he just threw the word out there. Like, yeah, that was he a weird one. No, I was like Michael said at the beginning. He doesn't. He should have defined his terms. <laughs> he does. I don't think he knows what Islamophobia means either. He's like playing an index card of what that means. He at least positively cites a libertarian or libertarian-ish uh, 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 Rand Paul. Uh, when he, in Rand Paul's objection to to the constitutionality of our actions in uh, Libya or Syria, I forget. That's which. right. That's yeah, right. I remember that. I, yeah. I was I did note that he like oh he said something nice about Rand Paul. Yeah. That's nice, I guess. But I'm not um, sure he kind of connected the libertarian to anything. But is Tulsi Gabbard libertarian, by the way? No. 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 I mean, she's a Democrat, but. Mm. She's definitely not libertarian. She's yeah. far from libertarian. No, not at all. Economically, she just is against war. But that doesn't make her libertarian. Take right. more than that. Although it's, wanna... it does seem like being against war automatically 
makes you on the wrong side of everyone in the beltway. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they might call her libertarian cause she's against war, but she wants to take all that trillion dollars and spend it on social programs. Like that's not libertarian. Right. Even though so I would take I, I wanted... Biden any day, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, me too. Hey, I wanted to bring up one uh, other just, you know, quibble I have with something I think of as his blind spot is again, sometimes you may not like the person saying something, but it doesn't mean that what they're saying is false. And on page 134 of my book, where he's talking about um, uh, how these right-wingers started to use the phrase cultural Marxism. And it's interesting to me because when I was first coming out of social justice ideology and I was trying to find a way to describe it, I used the term cultural Marxism in my first essay and I was told, oh, you can't use that word. That's a right-wing talking point. That's not a real thing. You know, and I was like, I was just trying to describe it the best way I could. I've since just started calling it social justice Marxism. I think that more accurately gets to the heart of it anyway. But um, he talks about cultural Marxism and he says, uh, Lynn's documentary on political correctness charted the origins of cultural Marxism back to a collection of mostly Jewish socialist intellectuals who fled Nazi Germany following Hitler's rise to power. Calling themselves the Frankfurt School, these academics brought to American shores the vehicle that translated Marxism from economic to cultural terms, giving us what we now know as political correctness, a cultural revolution against Western society, Lind said. The Frankfurt Group's landmark studies of authoritarianism in America encouraged the standard bearers of political correctness to label their opponents as fascists and to subject them to psychological therapy in the form of sensitivity training, Lind's documentary alleged. Amid the 1960s counterculture, they provided the inspiration for the birth of critical theory, the postmodern academic trend that took the form of courses in gender studies, black studies, and gay studies. Lind and his collection of talking heads, including the radical leftist turned far right provocateur David Horowitz, posited this development as nothing short of an anti-American plot. Okay, so those two paragraphs, I'm reading that and in the margins I'm writing, but all of this is true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100% true. I, I remember reading that going like, why are you saying alleged like did you not it's very easy to go read about the frankfurt school and what they said like he did no work there at all he just like, assumed that because they said it it was wrong i was shouting it i was shouting this is true this is true as as the audiobook is playing i'm like shut you're you're wrong it's true yeah yeah he, like, i don't know if you noticed the ad hominem he does also i think it's on page yeah it's on, in my book it's on page 133 but it's the same section carrie he calls the people that liked Breitbart, an army of beta males. And it's like, where, what is that ad hominem? He just throws it out there. Like, oh, obviously this is a, it's an army of beta males, beta male underlings. Um, and, and he blamed, and he also made this comment about, they blamed cultural Marxism instead of Wall Street greed for the financial collapse. It's like, well, uh, like that's a that's a weird assumption that Wall Street greed is the only thing that was responsible for the financial collapse. Like I've read extensively about the financial collapse. Wall Street greed is a childish characterization of what the hell the collapse was. At like it's it's moronic and childish way to 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 criticize. I mean, was there greed on Wall Street? Yes, but like it, it was. It's such a weird. Like this is the talking point that he's he's taken a talking point from mainstream, done zero research on it, and then anything that might counter that talking point, he dismisses it and uses ad hominems against it. That section pissed me off a lot. Thank you for reminding me. That beta male thing totally like made me go. Anything he he puts down for an opinion, I can't trust 
because right. the beta stuff is beta and alpha stuff is based on debunked science about wolves. The scientist who put it forward debunked it himself. That's why yeah. like every time people bring up beta and alpha males, I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Can you, yeah. can you send me, I, I would like to learn more about this. Can you send me any kind of references about alpha and beta males, alpha beta male stuff? Yeah, the scientist who put it forward and debunked it has a website that he has he has a link to the original theory that he I mean, came up with and then and then he shows how he debunked it because he I just, think it turned out that it was only true in captivity and that in the in the wild the hierarchy wasn't anything like what he had observed so he had made all these observations about how wolves behaved in the well, what is what is his were. name what is I his name remember. because there's the there's lots of research well, about alpha and beta within primates too not just wolves right so I, I'm curious about Plus that. my dog's not yeah. gonna like hearing he's not the alpha. Right, dogs, uh, I mean. But... Like, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think we're saying there's no okay. hierarchy, but I, I think know. she's just- uh, I know, I'm kidding. To me, to me, the problem wasn't necessarily that it was citing bad wolf <laughs> research. It was just like, it's a derogatory, it's an ad sure, hominem sure. attack to just throw out at people um, and not justified by anything that he actually wrote. Uh, yeah, that, that, that pissed it's me like off. The, the whole book had been made the whole book could be made better. Like I'd like to make an offer to make an edit pass and go through it and remove every single adjective related to a person and just leave all the rest and take out all his conclusions. It'd be a much yeah. better book. It would be a better book. Yeah. I caught grammar mistakes and it drove me crazy. There were like, there was one type, I'm a copy editor by trade. So I, there was like a typo. It was like period T and I was like, I saw that too. That bothered me. <laughs> It drove me crazy. I was like, you lost, like, every time I saw something like that, I'm like, you lost, like, a, a little bit of credibility with me. But that's my bias. So I think we've almost, we've hit, oh, we've gone over two hours. So we should probably wrap up soon. Does anybody have any closing thoughts that they want to Let me just about tell Yuval, uh, David, L. David Mech, M-E-C-H, I think is the, is the, researcher who did all the wolf stuff. Thank you. So you can look that up. Thank you very much. <laughs> and why would beta male be an insult when masculinity is toxic? Therefore, you want all males to be betas <laughs> That's anyway. That's a great point. <laughs> right, good point. That's yeah. hilarious, Christina. <laughs> uh, any final parting comments? I'm so happy that all of you showed up today. I, really, I was wondering if this might be a two-person thing. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who read this, who stuck it, who stuck in for this one, but that's my. I, that's you know what I I I actually thought I just got finished reading another book that was mm -hmm. like super detail oriented like this, where the timeline was actually more convoluted, um, and I think those kind of books are written for people who already understand the timeline and you're, you're filling in details. You're and and uh, so I, this wasn't as horrible timeline wise for me as maybe I was just, I had already been predisposed to, to deal with that, but I didn't, I didn't think it was a bad book. I would still recommend the book to many people. I would probably throw the caveat in that he's extremely biased uh, in, in certain ways, but his, uh, but his facts about the Middle East seem to be true from what I can tell. And it's good information to know if you don't really understand what's been going on in the Middle East for the past 50 years and the U.S.'s involvement. Yeah. So, so Carter, I would say, 
I would say read the book, but only as part of a book club. <laughs> yes, this like book that. club. This book club. A fabulous hat, Aline, by the way. I like it. I think the, yes. the book itself proves the point of why it's so important in this day and age that we just cannot just believe what we're told from whoever, expert, news media, whatever. We might hear this, what their the messages, but we still have to do our own fact checking and our own analysis because it, we're being we're being uh, uh, sold on something from all sides, all the time. Hmm. Yeah, well, I've, I mean, it, I've told my grandchildren that if you see anything on the mainstream news any less straightforward than there was a plane crash in Duluth that killed 15 people, you have to look at it with a jaded eye and try to get to the truth. Well, nowadays it will be there was a plane crash crash in Duluth and 15 people died of COVID. Um, but <laughs> I, I do agree with Carrie, though, that I think if, if you recommend this book to someone on the left, it could actually have a positive outcome because if they already have Trump yes. derangement syndrome, they'll gloss over all the stuff that pisses most people off. Um, and they'll get to the end and maybe they'll take some of the Russian collusion stuff seriously and the Clinton email stuff. Um, so yeah, there's some, something good you're there. making me want to read the whole way through to the end, Carter. The afterward read, is read the, last the two, best part, chapters. Christina. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Spoiler, it, spoiler alert. Trump is a buffoon. You'll get that in the afterward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I still think the afterward is the best part. Uh, but that's just because, you know, I, I'm sick of hearing all the Marussia and, and all that kind of crap. And he, I was impressed that a leftist went over the that stuff. So. I, I didn't think that he was making the case that Trump was just a buffoon. He also said things like Trump uh, resisted when all the heads of staff were pushing for war. At some points, he was Trump was like, "No, I don't want to do this." So he he did say things like that. He wasn't just um, mm -hmm. throwing Trump under the bus. That's true. And on page two forty five, he actually maybe he's mistakenly defended Trump, but he he did say that after Trump had a fun, quote fundamentally accurate assessment, CNN then spun it. Um, to make it, you know, sound yeah. ridiculous and whatever. So he did credit Trump with like, kind of intuitively having a, an, a, an accurate assessment of what was going on. But I, the picture that I got was Trump was a buffoon who intuitively and racist who intuitively understood what was going on, but kind of at the end got overrun by his cabinet, and that mm. was the end. See, I think I think again that would go a long way to someone who's on the left who does hate Trump from an emotional place and who believes a lot of the lies, I think this book would go a long way to opening their mind just to crack, you know, with something like that, where even you're reading, he's, they're reading it, they feel comfortable with him because he also seems to, he doesn't like Trump, but then he gives facts like that every once in a while. And you're like, oh, how else are they, are they going to get that fact and, and consider where it's coming from? You know, if it's coming from a Trump supporter, they're going to dismiss it. But if it's coming from him, they might be more inclined to question that and say is that true like did he did this happen is, is it true that Russiagate's not real <laughs> right right I guess it's maybe time to wrap it up um thank you everyone for thank for you. joining thank you um, so much it was great 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 conversation really really appreciate it um and uh what's the next book is moon is a harsh mistress on December something I don't remember it's, it's your our, favorite 
I know. I don't remember the date of book club, but it's December uh, something. Moon is a harsh mistress. We'll plug it. Um, that's what we'll do. So uh, thank you all for, for joining. And uh, we will see everyone next time. Thanks for everyone in chat for joining book club. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please report any sightings to Jack Dorsey. Did you know that 99.8% of election officials agree that election officials are innocent of any wrongdoing? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Here's a fun fact, farm animals and prisoners are not permitted privacy. On a completely unrelated topic, the deep state thanks you for sharing your colorful browser history. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.